Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. Our first scripture this morning, our Old Testament reading, comes from Isaiah chapter 50, beginning at verse 4. Please listen to the word of God. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher, that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. And who will declare me guilty? All of them will wear out like a garment. And the moth will eat them up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second gospel is from Luke's gospel. This is the account of the triumphal entry of Jesus entering Jerusalem. Listen again with fresh ears. We are in Luke 19, verses 29 through 40. Listen. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. <clears throat> As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. 
some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think I'll come down. Kind of an intimate group this morning. Don't worry, we've been preempted. Uh, WRBL has chosen to follow the wrong master this morning. Uh, but because of the storms that pushed the tournament up, we're not on TV. Y'all just settle in. I've got a three-hour discourse on the type of palms that were used. It's very exciting. So today is Palm Sunday. It opens up what we call Holy Week. What begins today is Jesus riding in for the last time to Jerusalem, and then we will track and walk with Christ every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Every day things are happening with the exception of Wednesday. But as we begin, I encourage you on the outset whether you come to any of our Thursday or Friday services, uh, it is easy to jump from the celebration of the parade to Easter without truly realizing what's gone on during the week. So I would challenge you, we're in Luke's gospel, Luke 19, start with the procession today and each day walk with Christ as things are happening to him and preparing to happen to him and especially Thursday and Friday. I don't believe we can fully celebrate the fact that he has been raised and the amazing miracle of life that that is without being with him as he is betrayed in the garden and especially with Christ on the cross. So, we know the story fairly well. Each of the gospel tells it a little bit differently. So Jesus is coming to Jerusalem for what event? And his disciples? Passover, right. There are three travel festivals in the Jewish faith, and this is one of them. And that they are required, at least the males are required, often families came with them, to come to Jerusalem to properly atone, to sacrifice, to be a part of the temple proceedings, to celebrate whatever it is they are celebrating. And of course, with Passover, it is the telling of the Exodus story when Moses and Aaron lead the people out from Pharaoh where they were slaves through the Red Sea into the wilderness. They are gathered for what kind of meal? Seder, right? Which is their telling of that Exodus story using symbolic foods. If you've seen a Seder plate, uh, it's got the different types of symbolic foods that are used to tell this story. So Jerusalem is already swelling because of Passover that will happen later in the week. And in addition to the increased numbers, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. So up to this point, most of his ministry has been doing miracles, healings, teachings, feeding the 5,000, calming the seas, 
giving sight to the blind, teaching all along the way. It's been pretty easy to follow Christ. It's been a pretty good show if you've been following Christ. So now all of these people, and as we studied John last week, if you remember Mary, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that live in Bethany right outside of Jerusalem where Jesus will go every day at the end of the day through Thursday. Mary took the nard and anointed Jesus' feet with the costly oil. And Lazarus had just been raised. That is their brother. Mary, Martha are sisters to Lazarus, their brother. And so, again, this would have swelled all of the numbers. Those were following, waiting for the next miracle, the next teaching, the next what have you. And then you put on top of that people starting to come to town for Passover. Numbers would have been pretty big, which is also why Pilate comes to town. Pilate is the governor in charge of Jerusalem, and during these travel feasts, he comes to make sure there's no riot with the swelled numbers of those people, the Israelites, the Jewish faith, swelling to those numbers. There could be a revolt. There could be a riot. So he comes with great numbers of reinforcement of military. So all the people are there. So they gather, they're with Jesus. Come on, Jesus, what are you doing? Do it, do the next thing. So why a donkey? Why not a llama? Why not a miniature pony? Well, there is precedent. It's not just that Jesus is being humble. There is precedent that this act, riding on the donkey to Jerusalem, fulfills several Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. We start in Genesis 49 with the preparation for the donkey that talks about the scepter and the ruler's staff and the foal of a donkey for the coming Messiah. Then we get to the donkey itself. We have Zechariah 9.9 that we read in the call to worship. Lo, your king is coming to you riding lowly and humble on a donkey. And that word king is one of the things that gets Jesus killed. He was claiming to be king, which both the Jewish and the Roman authorities did not appreciate. And with so many people there to follow, he was a threat even more than he had all along his journey. And they shout that out. Then we get to 1 Kings 1, and that is Solomon. King David, if you remember, had his son Solomon, and when it was time to transfer the kingship, David said, give him my mule. He didn't get a donkey. He got a mule and anoint him king. And the garments, also in 1 Kings 9, were used for the coronation of Yehu as king, where they would spread their garments out. Other Old Testament pieces, Psalm 118, which is what I start worship with every Sunday. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verses 25 and 26, save us, we beseech you. And blessed 
is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what they will cry out again from Psalm 118. The last little bit here is at the end when the Pharisees start to question Jesus as they always seem to. He says, even if, if these disciples were to be quieted, even the, st the stones would cry out. That's Habakkuk 2, which I know you are all scholars of Habakkuk, maybe the only time in a year that we mention this minor prophet, and Jesus quotes him in his ride. So all that is to say there's a lot of Old Testament prophecy that's being made, that's brought to fullness in Christ claiming the title of Messiah. So as he begins with the palm branches and the cloaks, he is riding and they shout out what we have just discussed, Hosanna, which is a way to say praise God, but also save us, save us. So there would have been some understanding that Jesus was in the power to save them. Must have been some understanding that he had some power as Messiah, or they would have just said praise him, but they said save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so it's all built up to this moment. All built up that Jesus, all of his acts of signs and wonders has brought folks to him. They are following him. He is at the peak of his popularity and it is all about to change. Now, why do they turn so quickly, these people? who are praising God one moment, what would give them cause for struggle or doubt? Well, again, think about it. They've seen Jesus do all these things. Maybe he is the Messiah. You can save us, Jesus, save us. And he gets to the end of his ride. He goes into the temple. He looks around and the day is starting to wane. So then he leaves, goes to Bethany for the night, right back out of town. So, well, wait a minute. I thought this was the guy. I thought this was the Messiah. He was supposed to ride in, descendant of David, who was a military leader, and set Israel free from these Romans, this occupying force. He comes in, he looks around, and then, and, and then he leaves. Nothing. Nothing. So if you're following this whole time and your expectations are high, which they all were, you get very little to reinforce that something amazing is getting ready to happen. You may start to think, well, I he didn't do anything. Well, I'll, I'll hang on. We've got Passover. At the end of the week, we'll see what happens between now and then. Maybe you say that to yourself as a follower. Maybe some left at that point. Or maybe some decided to stay with him to see what would happen. But it begins at that moment, I believe. As people start to be let down because their image is so different of what the Messiah truly is. Not the power, not the glory, not the army, not the stallion, not all the hymns being sung and all the sacrifices being done, Jesus comes in to claim his kingdom in his way. And they don't get it. Of course they don't. Again, so starkly different from what they had expected or ever known. 
And like many times, Jesus was coming to bring his spiritual kingdom to fruition. And we kind of missed that part of it. We're so very literal in the things that he says, even when they're ridiculous. He's often speaking of a higher spiritual plane and we get distracted by our day-to-day. We are so easily distracted from the truth. There's kind of a fun story about the actor Rob Lowe and he got an invitation to go see the president of the United States. I don't know when this is or what president it was, but his boys were little and the boys not quite so understanding that this is the Oval Office, the White House, the president of the United States. And so Rob goes over and over and practices with them and says, you know, don't break anything, don't touch anything. And they're walking around, eyes wide open. As soon as they get up to the president to shake his hand, they look out and they say, look, dad, squirrels. He said it was one of the most embarrassing moments of his life. Squirrels. We do that. That's a cliche about being attention deficit disorder, but we are that way in our faith as well. And they were that day also. They didn't understand the bigger picture of who Christ as Messiah came to be. So what else might have started to turn that crowd? Well, again, up to that point, it had been pretty easy to follow. You're just watching this amazing Jesus show, all of these miracles. But now Jesus begins to turn from the grace that he has shown all to commitment expected on our part. On Monday, he comes in and he turns over the tables to show his discontent with the leadership there. They've been exploiting the people, the money changers in the temple, all that. He also curses the fig tree on the way in. Why? Because the fig tree wasn't producing fruit. What is that? Why does that matter? Well, that's God made that fig tree to bear fruit and it wasn't. And God was saying, don't be like the fig tree. You need to bear the fruit of your discipleship, your commitment, your faith. People should be able to see that like you would see fruit on a tree. Tuesday, Jesus comes in and teaches a little more, brings up the fig tree again and talks about in Matthew's gospel, whitewashed tombs. What? Well, think about it. If you clean the outside of a tomb, it's all white and pretty and fresh and the sun hits it and it's gorgeous. But on the inside, there are decaying bones. And Jesus says, don't be like the religious leaders that look good on the outside, but are decaying on the inside. He's starting to work this idea of commitment, and now it's on them for them to follow. And that's a harder message. Easy to accept God's grace. We pray every week that God would forgive us and wash us with God's grace and Christ's resurrection. But when it comes to us and our commitments, that's the difficult part, to pick up our cross and walk as well. And they were starting to sense that Monday and Tuesday. We also think Tuesday later in the day was when Judas negotiated with the Sanhedrin to betray Jesus. Wednesday, nothing really happens. There have been those that kind of squeeze some stuff in there, but it really seems to be a day of rest for Jesus as he is getting ready to hit Thursday, Friday, Sunday. 
So then Thursday we get to, we know the last supper, Jesus is gathered for this Seder meal in the midst of Passover. And instead of talking through the symbolic foods, he takes the bread and breaks it and said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood, new covenant. Every time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. Then he moves to the garden of Gethsemane, takes some of his disciples with him, prays that prayer that we should pray every day. Jesus didn't want to die. He knew that he was getting ready to experience awful, horrible things. And says, God, if there's any other way for this to happen, let it be, but not my will, but yours. That needs to be our daily prayer. And so hard to pray and believe. It takes courage, courage. So Jesus prays, the disciples falling asleep already, starting to be alone and abandoned by those closest to him. Judas comes, betrayed with a kiss, brings the Sanhedrin in. The soldiers take him and begins this awful chain of events that will end on the cross. Peter, either late that night or early that morning, betrays him three times. Peter, one of his closest disciples. Then the next day, the trials begin, the floggings begin, the beatings begin, all on the way to the cross. Pilate, Herod, Pilate trying to do his best. He had saw no need to kill Jesus, but he was trying to keep the peace, and this uprising to kill Jesus was too much for him to handle. Starting to get to the zone of riotous behavior and said, okay, no skin off my nose. You want him dead? He's gone. It'll help me keep the peace. So carries his cross. Simon of Cyrene comes in to help him. His body is nailed to the wood. He is with the two thieves. One repents, one does not. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you will be with me in paradise, Jesus says to the one thief. Jesus dies. They are able to take his body and just have enough time in the day. It was around three in the afternoon when Jesus died. Jewish Sabbath starts sundown Friday. They cannot handle uh, a dead body after Sabbath begins. So they had to rush to get Jesus into this tomb of Joseph of Arimathea sealed it. And think about that on Friday. We'll go into this a little bit more at the Good Friday service. But everybody thought he was dead. All those who followed him had no reason to think that he was alive. Even his closest disciples, even his family, even his mother, all thought it was wrong. All thought he wasn't the Messiah because the Messiah can't die. So he was dead, all hope gone, all hope lost, no light, no hope, all done. All lies, they thought. They gave up their three, three years at least to follow Jesus, all for naught. So then Sunday, they come back to properly dress Jesus' body because they didn't have time to do it Friday, which is why they were coming back to that tomb, found it open, found it empty with the angel. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He has been raised, not here, he's been raised like he told you. And starts the, the running and the excitement and the resurrections so that other, Jesus will appear 
to others to make sure that everyone knows that this is fact and this happened. That is our quick week. It's amazing what goes on in the next few days. So again, I would encourage you to walk with Christ every day. We have a variety of ways to do that. You just, again, pick up the Bible and read through each day. Be with Christ, especially Thursday and Friday. One of our challenges is how can we spread our cloaks to prepare to praise Christ on Easter? That is up to each of you. It might be scripture, it might be prayer. It might be serving others in a way this week that is even different from the rest of Lent and the rest of your regular routine. But be with Christ this week, if none other, because this week Christ changes it for all of us. So the last thing is, what's this business about Game of Thrones? Those of you that are in the know, HBO series, eighth season kicks off, and final season kicks off tonight, as a matter of fact. Not one for the kiddies. There's a reason it's on HBO, not on television. Too big to make into a feature film, so they're now in their eighth season. So my quick understanding of the basis of it, George R.R. R. Martin wrote the books, still writing more, but this is the last season. The one main plot is that there are seven kingdoms and one iron throne. And really everything else cascades off from that as far as plot lines and stories. Who will control the kingdoms? Who will be in charge? Who will finally sit on that iron throne. What the whole story is about, it's where it goes. Alliances, murder, intrigue, relationships, all of that spins off off of that. This week, Holy Week, the iron throne is being contested. The throne of God is being contested. The powers of darkness think they have a claim the powers of human sin and self-centeredness and greed think they have a claim. So this week, the iron throne of Christ is contested. So let us walk together to see how this will turn out. Don't read ahead. Don't look ahead to Sunday. We can't celebrate that yet. So let us prepare for the coming of Christ as he enters in to Jerusalem the last time as we shed our cloaks and put down our palm branches and let us walk with him every day this week to see who will win the iron throne. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.